Chapter Twenty Five of I, Mary MacLane by Mary MacLane. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Chapter Twenty Five. Bastard Lacy Valentines. Tomorrow. The thing I admire most is strength. The thing I most hate is weakness of each and every kind. All the reassuring things in the world are in and of the strong deeds done in it. All the mischief and despair come from human weakness. I would better strongly murder my foe than forgive him weakly for my seeming advantage. I would be happier in my mind as a careful charwoman than as a loose-jointed poet. I would rather have a farthing's value as a faithful concubine than no value as a slattern housewife strength repays itself with strength and with magnificence truth is strength nearly always and not always to cheat strongly in the life game gets me more than does weak easy honesty by being a strong man napoleon brought home the bacon being an honest one would have got him not one rasher of the bacon of his desire the race is too ridden with temperament to let truth be its prevailing force but strength ploughs its scornful way through temperament like a steam shovel the bacon napoleon brought home he took from other people causing them misery they were weak and let him take it or they were strong and got killed trying to keep it to get killed trying to keep your bacon is to be even stronger than the napoleon who lives and takes it from you those who sit still and let napoleon get their bacon are fit only to be themselves made into bacon truth belongs with love with friendship with charity with psychic loving-kindness and all the altruistic graces and tendernesses but in the mere grinding livingness of things it is to be strong i say to me mary maclean be strong whether you're living joyous on a hill or mournful in a valley make shift to be strong in which paragraphs i make an apologetic preamble to me when about to dwell on my odd ironic element of weakness my weakness is not an art nor a science nor a gift nor a trait but is a sort of ruinous trade touched with all of those a trade at which i work and lose heavily from a viewpoint of personal economy in atlanta georgia lives a man with whom i exchange semi-occasional letters he is thirty-nine and clever and what is called a business man he is a business man not only by circumstance but by nature at a glance one would picture him in the setting of an office in a steel and brick building with a roll-top desk a swivel chair a cabinet full of files a stenographer with an unregenerate vocabulary and stationery neatly engraved with his name his business his cable address and his telephone number the look of the neat letterhead and the fibrous feel of the bond paper gives one the idea that whoever went into a business venture with him will come out of it disadvantageously after another glance at himself one would infer that his leisure hours might be fancifully spent in hours of ease some businessmen follow baseball others golf tired ones musical comedy others take up curio collecting or some personal phantasm in the latter category is my acquaintance of atlanta 
he affects mary maclean and musings of her in his leisure hours but what i am to him does not concern nor much interest me what he is to me concerns me for he his letters are a present source of my elaborated weakness i feel a wave of conscious weakness washing over me as i write about him his letters make a soft buffer a foolish pretty window a tinted veil between me and my two harsh actualities i met him when i lived in new york he had read the book i wrote in the early nineteen hundreds and at meeting me he conceived a thinly insistent admiration which some way went to his head he has at intervals since then written me letters full of charmed and salubrious flattery and of appreciation and praise for traits and gifts and qualities which i do not possess they appeal and cater remarkably to my vanity and are pleasant and unreal and vain and fatuous and fond and piquant he is a clever man and does not make love to me a butcher's boy may write love letters and i prefer those of a butcher's boy to those of a business man they would be more sincere and less hopelessly discreet but this business man is discerning and intuitive and writes me no love his wife a business man always has a wife could not rationally object to what is in the letters though she would irrationally and naturally object to the letters themselves she is unloving and unloved they always are but whatever may be her case i only know that she is tall and blonde and named bertha she doubtless would find something superfluous in the idea of her husband's letters to me a letter comes from him in georgia after i have written him a brief disquieting one with a latent human appeal in it to make him think the chief thing i need in life is his appreciation his attitude toward me to brace my spirit then his comes written in his small slanting commercial hand it is arresting from any angle and well thought well couched in it he tells me that my brain scintillantly brilliant though it is needs the dim twilights of other brains such as his to catch the sparks it throws off which is a lie my brain is not scintillantly brilliant and it needs nothing but the lie is agreeable to read there is a gentle caressingness in its untruth which feels some way soothinger than any flattering fact and he tells me my chief attraction as an individual is my ability accurately to gauge another individual and to breathe myself graciously out to it and upon it while pretending to be immersed in my own ego which is another lie immersed in my own ego is never a pretense with me and i have not gauged in the sense of weighing and measuring another individuality except to hate it but it is piquantly restful to hear that i am thus benign and he tells me that though several years have passed since he and i took leave of one another he has never forgotten that last parting because it was like the passing of a little weir-woman who brushed him lightly with her garments as she went which is another lie my association with him was in brief meetings at hectic studio tea-fights and two noisy dinners at churchill's at all of which i frowned impatiently at his tiresome conversation and his leave-taking with me consisted of his sharpening a lead pencil beautifully he sharpened it for me to write a telegram with 
it was not until this correspondence that we established an unreliable intimacy but to be told i seemed a weir woman to a hard-hearted businessman who could doubtless cheat a client out of four thousand dollars easily in a half day's manoeuvring is oddly inspiriting and he tells me he is highly privileged to be permitted to gaze in at the mezzo-tinted windows of my soul which are surely curtained against the passing proletariat which is another lie he has never remotely glimpsed my tired soul in the firmly false little letters i've written him as to its being a privilege if he had it is the proletariat it so happens who have first chance at those windows which are not mezzo-tinted but made of the plainness of plain glass but the conceit tastes mellow and naive and bromidic and appetizing to me like cream and raspberries in july and he tells me the most delightful thing in the world would be to live near me and have a season of daily meetings meetings of astral selves upon a higher plane whereon we should exchange those flowers and fruits of the spirit which grow not from the soils but from the esoteric essences of life that sort of thing which is another lie no possible man except a poet whom i loved or perhaps a scientist could find me delightful for more than two consecutive meetings i develop something like temper and i care for no higher planes except in airships as for esoterics i would fainer exchange musings and end over shoes than over souls and my spirit bears in fertile earthy soil chiefly thistles from which men gather no figs but it gives me a warmish feeling similar to a hot water bottle between my shoulders on a winter night to read that picturesque palaver written to me in my slim scorn by him in his springy swivel chair thus it goes his letters are made all of softest quaintest lies which i know to be lies the moment my grey gaze falls on them all his premises in regard to me and his deductions from them are roundly lightly mistaken but i like that fluent flattery the more because it is so false i am too vain a creature to want to cope often with truths even though they might be uplifting self-lauding truths my vain peculiar weakness demands as well semi-occasional collations of creamed lies upon which it feeds like a sleek cat on creamed fish my humour enters into it in no obvious way but eerily lay like a gay ghost my humour is a strong influence on me it is stronger than my pride and anger and fear and caution and reverence and self-love stronger than most things i own and it's for reasons of pastime and vanity and oblique humour i let letters from the business man come though not often into my solitudes and i spend hours of inert time waste conning his fanciful ideas all the letters i write him in reply though brief and impersonal and done in my best false manner consume a surprising lot of time and mental and physical force to write it is the weakness in it which is so devouring it eats me hungrily and lingers about like a buzzard picking my bones a spinelessly weak game i hate its weakness more than i like its pleasant futility i hate it and myself in it all the time i'm dwelling on it i hate it as i'd hate a little drug habit fastened on my nerves its influence is the same but more insidious than a drug would be 
more demoralizing as feeling fear makes one afraid feeling more fear makes one more afraid since once a month once in a two-month i feel the hankering itch to be applauded for second-rate qualities i do not own i give way to it in a particularly weak way after my sanest self has reduced it analytically to shreds and after saying bosh with all my selves after telling me too that it is a common tasting game life is a strange music clangor of gold bells some silent some far echoing and the common tasting thing cracks a bell edge then briskly i answer the last letter from atlanta georgia and soon there comes a fresh sheaf of smooth velvetish lies to pad my way there may come no more if this i write now should find its way to atlanta georgia or if fate or bertha should intervene but always i know weakness of me will find ways to work at its losing trade it is of the dubious inevitable side of human nature like gold teeth and tinned salmon and bastard lacy valentines End of chapter 25